Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to Freakishly Well-Behaved Kids. I'm Jody Mullen, and I'm the host of this show. Um, this is a series of podcasts that's dedicated to helping parents and other people who are connected to children help children behave and be their best. I'm in a u- unique position to share this with you because I've been a child counselor and a play therapist for nearly 20 years. I'm also a mom, which kind of that helps out here too, and I've learned many of the lessons that we're going to be talking about here from my child clients, but also from my own children. So you'll hear stories um, weaved in throughout. When we tell stories, um, myself and some of my guests tell stories about our child clients, we change any of the identifying um, information. So it's just by chance that it might sound like somebody you know. um, All these things have informed my parenting as well as the parent coaching that I do as part of my clinical practice. What I recognize in working with thousands of children and parents is that there are simple principles for parenting. I will cover more than 20 principles for blissful parenting so you too can have freakishly well-behaved kids. These principles are simple and life-altering. They will change and enhance the relationships you have with children. They'll help your children to behave. They'll help how you feel about yourself around children and improve your overall parenting esteem. In this podcast, I'll talk about a specific principle or lesson and how you can apply it. There will be special guests, and we have one today, that will further our conversation about parenting and children. And you'll want to stay tuned for my upcoming book um, that deals with this blissful parenting and, and freakishly well-behaved kids. Check out my website at www.jodyannmullins.com and follow me on Twitter at Dr. Jody Mullins. Also, um, you can find out more. <laughs> about our Naughty No More workbook that I created with my kids and my husband to help kids make good decisions. It's available now and it's easy to order and get your copy at www.integrativecounseling, that's one word, .us, or just by calling 315-342-9255. You can also follow us on Instagram. So, now that I got all that out of the way, I want to introduce my guest today. Um, it's Penny Lupo, and she's my colleague and friend. Penny is a mental health counselor, a play therapist, and a yoga instructor. She's also a former early childhood educator and a proud mom of Aaron. Welcome, Penny. Hello. Hello. How are you today? today <laughs> I'm, I'm good. How are you? And I'm excited for our subject today. Um, Penny and I did a podcast a couple of months ago that in our archive, if you want, if you haven't had an opportunity to listen to it about helping kids through yoga, um, what, what we actually wound up talking really mostly about was breathing, <laughs> the breathing part of yoga. Yeah. So um, Penny will be a, a guest in the future as well, talking about some other um, things that go along with that. But today, what we're talking about is just helping kids to calm down. And how, well, I actually came up with this topic with Penny and I were, do, were both doing presentations for um, early childhood educators, and um, we, were, we wound up just passing in the hall, and Penny, you made some comment about a lot of what people were doing to try to get kids to calm down was really just riling them up. <laughs> and I thought, oh, yeah. well, it would be really helpful. <laughs> To our audience, know what that is because if these are, you know, specialists working with young children and they're riling up them up when they want to get them calmed down, then certainly as parents we're probably um, doing some things that um, we could do differently that would work out better. So with that in mind, I have a whole bunch of questions for Penny, um, and let's see how <laughs> in answering them what we can learn from you. Sound good? 
Absolutely. Okay. All right. So, Penny, what's the most important thing we can teach our children about being able to calm themselves down? Because ultimately, um, there's not always an adult there or a parent, you know, even a parent, to help kids calm down. So what can we teach our children about being able to calm themselves down? I think the first thing that you have to teach kids about being able to calm down is how to identify when they're not calm. Um, <laughs> one of the things, that, you know, that's, that's something that, like, kids always have more energy than we do, and they're always, you know, they're not always using it in the, the, the appropriate times and the appropriate places where we would, as adults, we have the experience to know that when you're at the grocery store, you're not going to be running around. You have a task to do. Well, they don't live in that same cultural world that we do because they are not at that level. So um, I think one of the first things is, like, teaching them self-regulation, and that's something that kids have to learn from. I mean, that's something that we're teaching them all along throughout all of their childhood. But, you know, some of the calming things, you know, the earlier the better, um, is how to identify when do you not feel calm. You know, um, so paying attention to their feelings and how to identify what they're feeling is probably one of the most critical ways that I've found through teaching children in the classroom when we integrated the second step program, um, teaching them how to breathe, to slow down, and I won't talk about breath this time, but, um, (laughs) and that stuff. So it's teaching them, like, when am I not calm? Because they might not know. Okay. So So let me see if I can, let me see if I just get this. So part of it would be, um, and this is something we've talked about, um, several times and several different of the podcasts we've already done. So it's in there um, so people can, you know, look for it in some of the archive um, episodes. But one of the things that you're saying is but they, like, need to be connected to their feelings. And so it would be important for us to help um, kids do that by identifying their feelings with words even if they don't have the words for them. So if a kid is, um, if a kid is really riled up, you know, to say, like, you're feeling, like, so energetic right now so that they know that, you know, they know that that's, a, uh, they link that word to that feeling mm-hmm. that they're experiencing in the moment. Okay. So that's mm-hmm. one thing that we have to do because we can't teach them calm if they don't know what the what the opposite of calm is. And we also exactly. can't teach it Okay. And then we also, the other thing I think you're saying is we can't teach it to them if they don't have, like, examples from their own experience of what isn't calm. Right. And the other thing, too, is not only, like, I think it's perfect to throw the words in there, which is pretty much that feeling identification, but also Mm -hmm. adding that extra step of, where do you feel that in your body? Your feet are going really fast right now, or wow, your, your, your arms are all over the place, identifying that as well because it gives them the whole body, mind and body. Like it's also the feeling, but it's also all of it so that they okay. get that, that sort of connection. Okay, and so, in the be- so when at first children are learning this, for us to be able to point that out to them, that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. makes a, a stronger lesson, so to speak. Yeah. It helps to make that connection between my feelings affect how I how my body moves and behaves and such. Okay, so that so that's the most important thing that we need to do first is just help them recognize when they're not being calm mm-hmm. and what and where they feel in their bodies. Okay, so then my Absolutely. next question is: Is there anything that can help calm them down before they get 
riled up. Yes. Um, I mean, I'm not sure what age we're talking about, but I think it, it, it follows all of the ages, really, if you think about it developmentally. Um, one of the things that you can do sort of a preventative way would be like um, some kids respond to foods or lack of sleep um, and such like that, and that will make them riled up because my son, when he does not get enough sleep, is crazy. You would think he wouldn't be, but he absolutely is. Um, mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Another thing would be when you're doing going throughout your day, um, alternate between, depending upon your child's energy level and you know your child best, alternate between active activities and quiet activities, so things that get them a little bit up there, but then you also have to do the opposite and bring them back down too. You can't, like, I had I had an example one time where um, kids, well, like even in the classroom, like you have to alternate between busy activities where they're moving around and activities where they're sitting because you can't ask, depending upon the age, kids to sit for long periods of time. They can't do okay. it. Their bodies just aren't engaged for that. Um, okay. So that, that, let me see if I got that right too, Penny. So that works out both developmentally, but also like um, in specific for your own kid. And you know what that, you know, that looks like in your kid. So again, it sounds like mm-hmm. some of our observation skills and that taking what we're observing as parents and teachers and other professionals who work with kids, you know, taking that mm-hmm. and then using that knowledge that we're gaining from our uh, observation skills. Right. Another okay. thing, absolutely, and I think that's the most important thing is knowing your kid, sort of attuning into, you know, being in tune with your kid, knowing what they're, what, who they are and what they're about. Um, you know, and you, I mean, if you've had, if, it, if you're a parent, then, you know, you know when your child gets, like, at 3 o'clock every day, my child starts to get a little antsy. Okay, well, then at 3 o'clock every day, let's do something that will get that out in a positive way. So if you, mm-hmm. it's almost like you have to anticipate. If you know it's coming, then you can address it. Um, let's see. Give it, I mean, of course, then there's real life that goes along with that that doesn't always work out. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, there's always that. Like, oh, we have an appointment at 3. We have to sit still. But, you know. Um, and then giving attention, like I find even, and, and I know there's a lot around video games and I don't even really want to go there, but I know that there are some games that when my son turns off the TV, he's just crazy after, which, so then I eliminate those games from his repertoire. And I explain to him, not as a punishment, but so this helps him to learn his own regulation. But you know what, every time you play that game, I notice that you start to get all antsy and sort of jumpy and... You know, maybe that's not a good game for you to play. What do you think? Maybe we should save that one for when you're a little older or at another time. And then he gets it. Um, yeah. Well, hopefully so, he will get so it over, over time. <laughs> so also engaging, you know, the child in, like, the why behind what you're doing, you know, what you're doing, I, I think is important, yeah. too. I think kids mm-hmm. just do better in general when they know like the re- rationale behind it. And you don't have to explain it. And, um, you know, we've talked about communicating with kids before um, on other po- um, uh, previous podcasts, but you don't have to take a long time to explain it. Just explaining it just the way Penny, you just did, um, really mm-hmm. helps kids to then like, oh, I get it. Because in, I guess in some ways I feel like at first we have to make those connections for them. Then they mm-hmm. have to do, do it for themselves. 
Exactly, because that's your ultimate goal. It doesn't do us any good to guide everything in their world without teaching them what that is so that they can then take that on themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. almost viewing it as a learning tool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and I think it is helpful because I know, um, you know, both, more so with my son than um, with my daughter, but, you know, certainly with both of them at times, there have been times that they get them, they get themselves so worked up and then they can't, like they want, it's amazing because it's you can see they want to calm down, they just can't figure mm-hmm. out how, you know, and so yeah. I think like that's, that's the part where as a parent or a teacher or, you know, even a therapist, you you have opportunity to, to help them and say, like, I can see that you need to settle down, you know, and so here's yeah. some, yeah. let's, you know, okay, so, okay, we're getting this then, okay. Yeah, um, yeah, so, absolutely. <laughs> so being observant is one of the things that we can do and, and we can, um, as parents and um, as teachers as well, sort of set some parameters around some of the activities they're doing or, or like, times of day or things like that that, that um, looks like they get kids riled up are the precursors to getting them um, worked up. Exactly. Okay. So um, let's get nitty-gritty then, Penny. What are some of the mm-hmm. strategies parents can use with their children when they're already out of control and need to calm down? Okay. So, um, okay. so one of the things that you can do um, is, I think what's most important, and I, um, I, I have sort of um, a mentoring sort of relationship with a person who is a um, creative arts, basically a movement therapist, um, Dr. Mm-hmm. Deborah Walsh. And one of the things mm-hmm. that when I was working on my manual and doing some research, well, I mean interviewing with her, was that she talked about like meeting the child where they're at. So meeting them at the energy level that they're at and then sort of attuning to where they are and then bringing them down with them, like helping them come down that way. Um, So if you have, and it's very counterintuitive because the first thing you want to do is be like, oh, my goodness, it's really crazy in here. Let's all relax. But it never works that way because somebody always gets too silly or too whatever and then it just never really works that way. Um, so one of the things you can do is sort of join in them in that, in that, as long as it's not like, you know, throwing things around and getting crazy, you know, in a safe, logical way. Joining them in that place, if you're in a place where you can do that, and then, like, slowly bringing them down so that it, it, it becomes like a natural thing. Um, a way I'm thinking about it is, well, I mean, the best example that I have, unfortunately, is... It's, again, in my classroom, but um, that's okay. a group of kids, so it's different. But um, because my son's not usually pretty too crazy. But, um, but <laughs> in a classroom, if it's... <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> He's only crazy when we get him there. <laughs> um, but, like, if you have a, like, a, a group of kids and, like, so if they're crazy, then I actually, because of my influence of my understanding, whichever it was, like I put in, I incorporated like fast and slow music. So you can do songs that are fast and you can do songs that are slow. And if you have iTunes, Palmer has music out there and the song is literally called Slow and Fast. So, you know, mm-hmm. the kids have to go really, really, really fast and then they get to move really slow. And it's like playing with those opposites and hopefully you end it on slow. <laughs> 
So they're sort right. of coming down. You can, you know, with younger kids that would work because it's a very young way, you know, a younger kind of thing. You can do, um, if you're seeing that it's crazy, some of the things that I um, have done at home are having Play-Doh and clay at my disposal so that when I can see that he's having, you know, he's not, like I said, he's not too crazy, but there are days when, in the winter, when you can't get outside, it's too cold, and I can see that he needs more activity. Um, I bought, like, a kitty litter box and put, um, not necessarily sand, because sand can get really messy in the house, but, like, those beads that go inside bean bags Mm -hmm. and let him play in there with his toys. That's like he gets that sensory experience. I don't care. It's not that hard to clean that up as much as it is sand. And just let them play in those kinds of things that keep their mind busy and their hands busy, but they're more. it's more controlled busy. Um, that makes sense. I mean, everything, one of the things in that I've learned, you know, as a play therapist from the very beginning of my training, you know, is that play is how children learn everything. Like every single thing they they learn through play, you know, initially. And so I, I think you raised a good point in just having opportunities for kids to play the way they play. So if that so that mm-hmm. means if you have a really you know if you have a really active kid, like you're saying, particularly in the winter, what can you you know what can you do with them? You know, um, where if you if your child's really their calm, you know, their level of calm is a little bit different. You might not have to have such a, you know, such a large growth and gross motor um, kind of activities like like the outdoor play. But what can you do? You know, um, I, I think you raise a good point in that, like, what can you do to help them play out some of this, you know, um, mm-hmm. stuff so that they can recognize a way that... Th- is enjoyable to them too. Like if your way of calming down is enjoyable to you, like that's that's yeah. really great. Like my way, my way of calming down is to go for a run, and I love running. So it's you know, so it's like such a nice, um, such a nice uh, like transition for me because I can do something that I know will help calm me down, but at the same time, I love doing that. So you know, and we can do that with with our children as well. Oh, yeah. Other strategies. Go ahead. That's okay. Your turn. Oh, um, <laughs> I was going to say one of the other things that um, that you know, of course, the, the the best way we ever teach anything is just what you're talking about. If running is enjoyable to you, your kids are observing that. It's like that under unspoken. Um, you're you're modeling it. So right. having that model of you doing that for yourself is helping your kids to learn how to do that for themselves. It, it's it's like the hidden curriculum, so to speak, of the family um, or school, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that. Yeah, it's like I the unspoken that. stuff that, yeah, 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 you know. Um, the other thing, too, that you can do is I, I notice, like, sometimes when kids are riled up, it's it, it can be driven by an emotion that is too big for them. Um, sometimes it can be anger, sometimes it can be anxiety, and anxiety sometimes looks like like, like aggression and anger in a kid because they don't know, you know, sometimes it can. Um, so one of the things that um, you can do, too, is have opening the lines of communication verbally with kids to, you know, like it looks like you're feeling whatever, which we've already talked about. But it's also normalizing that for them. Like, yeah, sometimes I feel that way, too. Because I feel like if we mm-hmm. let kids understand that we feel those same things, 
then they'll be like, yeah. oh. And they're more receptive. <laughs> they're like, oh, so she's trying to help me. She's not trying to get mad at me. She's helping me, you know. I think that's right. really important. So, yeah. I, and, again, I think that goes back, you know, to something you said earlier about, um, you know, just being able to talk to kids about why we're doing what we're doing when we're doing it. You know, it, it makes it, um, you know, it, it, I think, you know, it sort of honors and just respects that, we would want to know, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, we want to know mm-hmm. and so It's so respectful um, to be able to do that to children, you know, as well, to just, you know, let them know that I respect you enough to tell you why I'm doing what I'm doing here. I love that. Right. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I got another question for you. So I think this All is... All right. Are you ready? Okay, because this one's, quite, I think, pretty important, um, because all of us make, make mistakes as parents, even, even you and I who have all this education and specialization in working, you know, with children, you know, and I, you and I have a lot of fun sharing our mistakes with each other. So we're just going to see <laughs> yeah. that all parents make mistakes. So what's the common, most common mistake we make as adults with kids who need help settling down? What are the things that we're, we're doing that um, doesn't work? to help get children settled. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, well, there's not a foible <laughs> here I haven't done myself. Um, okay. <laughs> um, one thing is, I, I mean, I think one of the things is, like like I, I had sort of alluded to before, real life happens. So as a parent, when you're trying to get something done and you're feeling somewhat frazzled yourself, and then the kids mm-hmm. sort of catch that current, and then they sort of get, it always seems to me like as soon as, like, I'm in a hurry, then yeah. all of a sudden, like, the kid, you know, well, I have one child, but he starts to get crazy and he starts to get off task and who knows what's going This I'm talking about in the morning, getting out the door. Right. Um, so sometimes I think it's just not being, aware, like, not being present in your own moment enough to be able to be present in the moment with them because we're not only mm-hmm. just parents, but we're a person, too. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we get caught up in what we're doing and and we forget to pay attention to okay. what's happening with them. So we get so like, setting. okay, come on, hurry up. But we're yeah, all yeah. doing, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so setting the tone in our own piece. And, you know, and the other thing I think is my, my favorite example is sort of like I, you see this in the mall or the grocery store where parents are walking at a normal, you know, adult pace. And you know they're saying to their you know to their kids like hurry up come on, and um, they they don't take into account that your legs are so much longer as an adult. You know you're shy, yeah. you know so it's just, it's sort of the same. What you're saying to me, I feel like it's sort of the same thing. It's like you you have to be aware of like that your pace um, isn't their pace, and when you are frazzled um, as a, an adult, you like that's the, an atmosphere that you. Have, have part in, you create. And so it's not, yep. it's so common that when you're frazzled, so is your kid. <laughs> yeah. So. Absolutely. Okay, so that's, and it's, so um, that's one mistake. So what, what are some other mistakes we make? Um, I think for me, um, to tag up on that one a little bit too, is not paying attention to what's going on for the kid. Because mm-hmm. you know, just not being like so. Maybe they're maybe they're overtired, and we are not paying attention to the fact that they look tired because we're just busy doing whatever, and we're not looking at them. Or maybe they're 
they're excited about something that's coming up. I mean, do you remember as a kid when you knew you were going somewhere cool, like a, an amusement park, mm-hmm. like the excitement that you would get like the day before? Um, yeah. You yeah. know, it's, or or having them sit a long time. Like, you know, if you're at some appointment somewhere and they have to sit and then they have to get in the car and sit for another hour to drive home. I mean, all of those things. So it's just being, like, making sure that you know what's going on for them as well. Um, you know, one of the things... Penny, I'm going to... Go ahead. Can I interrupt you for a second? Oh, I, I just mm-hmm. had this happen the other night with my son. He, um, he He's nine, and he plays on a basketball team uh, that my husband coaches, which we talked about a little bit in our last podcast. And um, uh-huh. they... They won an amazing game. They won. Last year they were one and whatever. They only won one game last year. And they Uh were playing a team that hasn't lost a game in two years. And they beat them. And it was crazy. And my son at 10 o'clock at night still can't fall asleep because of this game he had at 7 o'clock. That was outrageous. You know, and it's so there, you know, I think that it's also just, like even though I was definitely ready for <laughs> for bed, and even though yeah, I was pretty yeah. excited about the game too, it's just sort of honoring their perspective in that way too. Like of course they're going to be, you know, riled up. He, he just had like the most exciting basketball game of his life, you know. So right, um, right. I, I think recognizing that becomes very important. Okay, that's to you, Penny. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes not not just not like negating that or whatever. Or, or just remembering that. I think it's just being in tune with being human in a way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah we're all going to be excited. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I find with with all of this is sometimes, and, and I don't have a lot of this experience myself because I don't use time out, um, but I notice a lot like in, in like witnessing it in classrooms or witnessing it in um um, what's the other thing? Um, we're, we're working with families in various capacities. Um, punishing a kid for being hyper is never going to solve the problem, I don't think, because you're not teaching them anything. So putting them in timeout and asking them to sit still is not going to work. But mm-hmm. I've had to have that conversation more than once with friends and, and, and just different, you know, like I said, different people along the way. It's like, like, if you're excited and you're hyper, it's almost like you have to feel it for yourself to remember what it feels like so that you can then apply it to a kid who doesn't have the skills or experience that you have. Right. So I think it's yeah, remembering. I think, you know, what? Yeah, like, well, I think, you know, it goes back to, like, I think sometimes as adults, we, it's like um, all our memory has been, really, you know, sort of wiped out about what that what that was like when you were so excited. And, and to be punished for being excited is like being punished for being creative, you know? So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I never really thought I, – I used time out with my kids, but I never really thought about, um, you know, putting – that kids get put in time out because of their energy level. So, like, yeah. I talk about teaching kids to take their own time out. So, like, one of the things in the Naughty No More book we talk about um, is having kids – figure out ways, and even maybe calling it their own timeout, but modeling that as a parent when I'm getting riled up for whatever reason because I'm, like, too excited or too angry that I can't, you know, function well, I'm going to model that for my kids and say, like, I'm going to go give myself a timeout so I can... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that the kind of... 
No, I'm sorry. Um, I think that the kind of time out that that you're referring to is the kind that I use even with my son. It's like, okay, it looks like you need to take a break for a minute. So, you know, yeah. go do something else or go sit over there or just try to calm yourself down. I'm thinking of the time out where it's like sit there and think about what you did. That's what I'm thinking about, the oh. old-fashioned way, you know. Um, mm-hmm. and it, or just sit there, just like leave the kids sitting there. Like, what purpose does that serve at all? Because it doesn't. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think what you're talking yeah. about is a different kind of timeout. Yeah. So oh, I just yeah. wanted to clarify that. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a different kind of timeout. Um, but I yeah. think that I, I wanted to delineate that, too, because I think it's, you know, to, to punish. And because a traditional timeout is like you're going to go sit and you're going to think about what you did, you know, and, and with the kid who's um, really energetic and jazzed up, that's not gonna that's not gonna work. Cause no. It goes again. Uh-uh. Right. So we have about a minute left, Pen. What's like one one thing that you must say before we say goodbye to our group for today? I think if I had to say anything on this topic, is being aware of your own self and what you like. I feel like most of what I learned, I had a professor. Uh, Pat Gridley in Auburn, and she told me one time when I was really worried about classroom management and stuff like that, um, I was really stressed about it. She said to me one thing, and it like it's, I've carried it through for everything, and it's always been helpful. We're just bigger kids. What do you need? <laughs> that's what they need. And I was like, oh, that's like so simple. <laughs> I got it. And I, yeah. <laughs> so, so it really I is about that, empathy. About empathy being able to. Um, yeah, exactly. Anywhere you're just about out of time. I know I just I talked over you. I apologize that moment. But um, oh, we're about out of time. I just wanted to an opportunity to say thank you with much gratitude for um, helping me with this phone call. And hopefully people got a lot out of this. You have so much to offer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> you're welcome. All right. Again. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.